0: Right, right, we're in our third week of Ephesians. Two weeks ago, we started looking through the book of Ephesians. And uh, it's been a great just last few weeks diving into this amazing book. And we're going to be walking through it throughout the summer. And so as you come throughout the summer, we'll be in Ephesians. And I got to kick us off with a message about who Jesus is, how he has shaped our identity. And two weeks ago, I finished that message I gave three of them. I went home exhausted, tired, went to bed, and woke up at 2 a.m. with this, like, like overwhelming sense of anxiety on my soul. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be okay. And I don't know if you've ever woken up at 2 a.m. with this just feeling of just, like, total depression, total, like, almost like something was speaking over me, lies. And I was thinking in my mind, why did you say that? You should have never said it that way, Jason. It honestly turned to really bad. It turned to, you're a really bad father. You were a horrible husband to Molly. And then, and then the lies continued on. It was, if people really knew who you were, there is no way you should get up there and preach. And I felt just this overwhelming anxiety as lies started going into my body. I I could barely breathe. I just got up. I drank some water. I started pacing back and forth. And at that moment, I was like, okay, I should pray. And I started to try to push out words, but nothing would actually come out. It's like, what what do I even pray? And so that message that I preached to you, I started to preach to myself at 2 a.m. And I I started to tell myself, Jason, you are are chosen by the Father. The Father loves you. He loves you. And then I told myself, you're redeemed by Jesus. He paid the price. He paid the price. He paid the price. I kept repeating it to myself. I go, you're sealed by the Spirit. You're sealed by the Spirit. And for the next two hours, I labored to go back to sleep. I was like, it was a war in my soul. This overwhelming... Feeling that was on me. Have you ever had your inner self speak condemnation over you? Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night with a sense of anxiety and just feeling overwhelmed and believing these lies that are about you? And what was crazy for me is there were some lies that were said, but also there was some reality. There was some truth. I'm not a perfect person, I don't have it all together. I'm not what I want everybody to think I am at times. So today, I want to share with you a battle that every single one of us will face and every person on planet earth has faced. And this battle is a war of lies that are being told to you. Condemnation that is leading to despair, shame, and guilt. I believe this is why our world is overly depressed and overly anxious, And as we're in week three of Ephesians, Paul is going to turn his focus, his attention to what is unseen, the unseen enemies of your soul. So our desire as a church, as we are diving into Ephesians, is to learn from this church of Ephesus and to learn what made them a great church, what we can learn from it, and really take that and put in our culture as A church and the church of Ephesus, they were under an attack, they were under a war that was happening. See, when Jesus came and the like believers came to faith at Ephesus, they started like totally being transformed by the word of God. They started living for the things of Jesus, and that impacted their society throughout. People stopped worshiping idols in Ephesus, and all of a sudden, there was some persecution, there was an enemy that came up onto this church of Ephesus. And this enemy pushed back on them. It was this persecution from Jewish leaders and also the empire of Rome that they wanted the Jesus followers to be silenced. There was an enemy. This battle that the Ephesian church was facing is the same battle that you and I face today. And it is not a battle that can be seen by the physical eye. It is a spiritual battle. You are in a spiritual battle. There's a battle for your soul. In 1846, there was a Hungarian uh, doctor named Ignaz Uh Tim started throwing up old guys with uh, black and white pictures and hard names to say, so I figured I'd do the same thing. Uh he guessed, and He started to research, actually, why do so many mothers and babies die at childbirth? And we found something very fascinating. He found out that there were five times more likely to die a child or a mother with a doctor versus a midwife. Midwife right there. She's like, I'm telling you, we got it. So... Swigglewise, he was like, why is this happening? Why are all these babies and mothers dying? And he started kind of doing all these theories of, okay, what is going on? And what he found as he continued to do more and more theories, the reason that so many people were dying of childbed fever was because of cleanliness and sterilization of tools. smigel was way ahead of his time. He was ahead of Pasteur and his germ-like theory that he was going to release in about 20 years. This was just, you need to wash your hands. And so Smigelwise, what does he do? He starts going on this crusade throughout Europe, proclaiming like, you guys have to understand, there is this undercover battle that we are facing that is killing mothers. It is killing babies. We have to get it under control. Just wash your hands. No one would believe him until after he died. He was actually Harold, a lunatic and was rejected. Yet Smigelwise saw one thing. He saw an unseen battle that if people would see it if they would see if they would clean themselves that they could actually save many lives you live in an unseen battle that no one can see by the eye but it is spiritual and if you saw it it would save your life and it would save many lives Amen, I like that, thank you. There is an unseen battle for your life. And today my hope is that you would see it and you would learn how to fight against the enemy of your soul. So in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we're going to pick up where Paul uh, has in, in Ephesians 2, it says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins If you do not follow Jesus, if you have not submitted to your life, if you are not trusting Jesus with your life, this is who you are. You are dead. You are not alive. You are actually spiritually dead, the Bible says. It is your transgressions. It is your sin that is separating you. From a holy and perfect and loving God. And what Paul is trying to communicate here is there are three enemies that will destroy your soul if you do not know them. They're undercover. It is a battle, it is a spiritual battle. Ancient theologians coined this term the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I kind of like this diagram. This is our roadmap for the next few minutes as we study this passage is that there are these three enemies. One is the devil. And the devil is a deceptive liar. He he breeds deceptive ideas into people's souls. And from that, as he lies, there are disordered desires that come in us. We all have a desire. We all have a flesh. But they get disordered and out of control. And then lastly, what that does is it c- connects and makes a sinful society, which is the world we live in, separated from God. And so as we jump into this today, we realize that, If we are dead in our transgressions, that verse said at the end that we deserve wrath. We deserve judgment of God. But this is why Jesus Christ came. He came to take upon the wrath of God for you, for your sin, so that you might be in relationship with him and not experience the life of sin and transgressions. So as we dive in, we're going to check out these three enemies. So the first enemy of our soul. Is the devil. It is the devil. Jump back into our passage in verse two. It says that there is a ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The devil is the ruler of this world. He rules the world. He has power, and he is at work at all people that are disobedient from God. And his hope is to spread disobedience to God, Jesus actually talks a little bit more in depth of the devil in John 8, 44. It says this is he's talking to Jewish leaders. This is how he describes the devil. He goes, you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar. He's a father. Of all lies. So there is a devil. Jesus proclaims there is a devil. And when it comes to a the devil, there's kind of two trains of thought in our society. I like how C.S. Lewis actually kind of describes the two ditches that people fall into when they think about the devil. He says it this way: He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They're equally pleased by both errors, inhale a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So there's people out there, when I say there is a devil, you're like, Jason, we're in like 2023, can you like pay attention to like what's going on? There's not a devil, that's fake, like there's no evil. And then there's another ditch that's like, the devil's in everything, the devil has control over everything. It's like, birth the lasagna, devil got me again. Man, like the devil's always getting after me. You know, a tire, flat tire, the devil got me. It's all the devil. The devil's in everything. Those are two polar extremes. What Jesus had was a perfect view of the devil. See, Jesus believed in the devil. And most Christians, I would say, believe in evil or the devil. But Jesus actually knew how powerful the devil was. But he also knew that he was defeated that Jesus defeated the devil through his resurrection. As followers of Jesus, we have confidence that he is defeated and he has no power in our lives because Jesus Christ conquered the grave. So in these two viewpoints of he's in everything or he's nothing, Jesus has this perfect, perfect view. So I think most of you probably go, "Oh, yeah, I believe there's a devil out there. Here's where I think people have a problem is you do not know the devil's power and his tactics. You don't understand his power in your life and his tactics that he uses. In this old fable, uh, Talladega Nights, that's it. The old fable, Talladega Nights, you have Ricky Bobby and Cal Naughton Jr. And Ricky and Cal are really good friends. And then they have this conflict that happens and they kind of approach each other. And Ricky comes up and he goes, man, you know I, you know, I hate you, man. And Cal's like, You know, man, I hate you. And Ricky then goes like, you know, Cal, you're right. I'm sorry. I should have never won all those races. I should have given you your turn. And then Cal goes, well, Ricky, I'm going to keep talking like this because I'm a little confused by your tactics. The devil has a goal and he has tactics. If you wonder how I can do that accent so well, I'm from Oklahoma. I've been practicing my entire life uh, for this moment on stage. So there you go. There's your rendition of Talladega Nights. The devil has power. He has tactics. There is a devil, and his goal is to spread death. His goal is to spread death. Did you see what it says in John 8? Jesus said, He was a murderer from the beginning. His whole goal in your life, his whole goal in this world is to destroy, to bring death, to kill you, to kill everything, and to bring them away from Jesus. He has a real power. Three times Jesus calls the devil, the prince of this world, Archon in the Greek. Uh, he uses that, Paul uses that same word, archon, in Ephesians right here to talk about the spirit of the air, the prince. And what this word actually means is it means the highest ranking Roman official in a city or region. What Jesus is saying here is he is saying that this creature, the devil, is the most powerful, influential creature in the world. In another story, Jesus actually uh, was dealing with the devil in these temptations, and the devil claimed to have rule over all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus did not argue with him. The devil has control. He has power. He is cunning. He is influential. This is why 1 Peter 5.8 says this as followers of Jesus, that we are to be sober-minded. We're to be watchful. Because our adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring Lion seeking to devour. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour you. He is sneaking around and he is a roar. He is coming after your soul. And you know who he comes after? He doesn't come after the people that are far away from Jesus, he comes after the people that are after Jesus. He wants your soul. He wants to spread death in your life. So the devil is real, his goal is to spread death, and his tactics are lies. He is a manipulator and a liar. Listen to what Jesus said. It says that he's not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. The devil is the father of lies. When he speaks, it's his native language. Any lie you've ever believed is from the devil. That is who he is. So his tactics are lying. Satan is whispering and he's molding the world around us. And he's whispering in your ears and his hope is to affect your thoughts. Because here's where Satan attacks. He attacks right here. He wants you to get to lie to yourself. That's what I was experiencing a couple weeks ago is I was pacing my room is I was having lies in my head, attacks in the narrative of my mind and he was spewing them in my head and at times it starts going, is this true? Is this a reality? And if you're in here today, I'm sure you felt this or you're lying because this is what he does. He is lying to you right now. He is whispering in your ear, there's a great work on demonology in ancient Christianity by a guy named uh, iva, iva Grias. And Iva Grias created this kind of philosophy or paradigm around demonic temptation that comes in our life. And he really called our fight against the demonic or the lies of Satan is this. It's through our logizimi which is our internal battle. That's the Greek word for our thoughts or our thought pattern or your internal narrative or your belief structure. There are things in your life that Satan is attacking and it's what you believe up here. That is always what he goes after. He's lying to you and he's trying to manipulate how you think. Satan's role is always to feed you lies that go against your view of the truth of God. We see it at the very first with Adam and Eve. When Satan approaches Eve, he doesn't use this outlandish like lie. He doesn't go, God's not real. Don't believe in God because that's not how Satan works. He just puts a small little lie out there to Eve. He goes, did God really say not to eat of that fruit? Just questioning it, slowly twisting the truth to Eve. The devil is a liar. He's The king, the father of lies, and he is manipulating the world around us. So as followers of Jesus, what do we do? We need to know that this is why Jesus came, actually. In 1 John, listen to this. It says, uh, in 1 John 3, 8, he who sins is of the devil. If we live for sin, if we live for our own life, if we're going after the things apart from God, we are of the devil. We don't like saying that, do we? You're like, oh. I'm a naturally good person. No, we are of the devil. That is our natural nature. Yet is our, we follow Jesus. Look what happens. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was what? To destroy the works of the devil. Amen, amen. He's destroy the works of the devil. To abolish it, to get rid of it. This is why Jesus came. And so as we kind of study the next part of the two, two things, the flesh and the world. I just want to show you how Satan is a liar and how that directly impacts you and your flesh and also how that impacts our world that we live in today. So the second enemy of your soul is your flesh. It is your flesh. Again, we'll go back to our diagram. The devil is a liar. He's Whispers lies in our ears, and what that does, it is impacts us directly. That we have this flesh, and all of a sudden we have desires in our life, and he disorders it through his lies. In Ephesians, we'll go back to our verse, it says this. It says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and what? Thoughts something going on up here. it's in your thoughts. like the rest we are by nature deserving of wrath. So what is your flesh? Uh, the Bible uses the word flesh in three different ways it has multiple meanings in Greek it means sarks which it can mean your body or it can mean humanity. In this actual passage what it means is your animalistic cravings that go against God, the cravings of the body that go against God. So this is what destroys our soul is the cravings of our flesh in our desires, in our thoughts. Paul says it this way in Romans 7, 5. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law, we were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. What your sinful passion, that fleshly nature of you, what it happens, the fruit that comes of it is what? Death. Remember what Satan's goal for your life is? Death. The lies are to bring you to death, it's to bear a deathful fruit. Our flesh arises in us, death. Eugene Peterson, a a famous pastor, said it this way. What our flesh is is the corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and instincts. We all have instincts. We all have appetites. We have base, primal, animalistic drives. And that drive a lot of times goes to self-gratification, especially that in sensuality such as sex or food. But it's also in just any general pleasure we are driven to through our flesh. We have a desire for control, for survival, for domination, these are our fleshful instincts. And what Satan does is he attacks you through lies in your flesh. And through those lies, he feeds or satisfies the cravings of your flesh. He's lying to you. And your flesh is pulling you to sinful desires. And he lies more and he lies more so that you act upon those instincts and go away from the things of God. And a lot lot of people believe today that I think Satan has pushed throughout our culture is this, is to follow your heart. Like, have you heard this? Be yourself. Do you. Follow your heart. I want to tell you today, that is bogus and that is in opposition to God. What God says is the heart is deceitful above all else. Don't follow your heart. If you follow your heart, you will be not following Jesus Our hearts naturally pull to this instinct to crave, to satisfy our flesh. No, we want to follow Jesus, not our heart. We want to follow Jesus, not our flesh. So how does Satan lie to our flesh? How does he get into our lives? How does he create shame? We, We know we don't want to do something, but yet somehow we're always ending up doing things we don't want to do. So how does he do it? He tells just a little lie to get his way in. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had a guy knock on my door. It was Friday, mid-morning, Friday. I take off, I try to like drink some coffee, chill out. We work on the weekends. It's kind of my only day really to just be be by myself, do what I want to do. So I'm like, all right, coffee, reading the word, doing my thing. And all of a sudden I hear a I'm like, huh, who's here? No one's here. I'm going to go open the door. And I open the door and he got a word out before I could say anything. It was a solicitor. And he goes, Are you satisfied with your electric bill? And I just held the door open and I just, I just gave in just a little bit, and I go, No. And he goes, Well, how about we talk? And so the solar guy starts telling me all the reasons solar is so good for my house. And I kind of open the door a little bit more. I opened a little bit more. About 10 minutes later, I'm out on the porch with him, like looking at the roof line, looking at our trees. He's asking me questions like, yeah, this is terrible. And, you know, the whole time I'm like, I'm going to do something fun on my day off. And so for the next two hours, Molly walks in two hours later, and I'm with the solar guy at our dining room table, serving him coffee, asking him all about solar. Finally, he gets to a point where I'm like, hey, man, it's too much for me, and I can't do solar right now. And so he calls me about once a month, and we're still good friends, I guess. Uh, But how did I get in that situation? There's nothing in me. They wanted to use my day talking to a solar guy. Love the solar guys. I apologize if you're in here. But there wasn't anything in me. He used one little opening and I allowed it to open and open and open. Here's the truth. Most of you are not going to ruin your life in sin because of one lie that Satan tells you. None of us go like, ah, I'm going to go embezzle all this money, that's a good idea today. Or I'm going to like lie and I'm going to steal or I'm going to go cheat on my spouse today. It never happens with a big lie. But somehow we, people end up where they never thought they would be and doing things they never would do. How? Because a long time ago, they opened up and they heard that one little lie and they kept the crack open and it kept opening and more lies came in more lies, more lies, and it built upon itself and it grew to where you're doing something you never thought you'd do or acting how you never thought you should. Satan is the master manipulator. It starts, if you're married in here, it starts in your marriage, doesn't it? It's so easy to believe lies with your spouse. It's like, okay, uh, uh, we argue about everything. You like start arguing and in the back of your head, you hear a lie like, yeah, we argue about everything. Is that really true? Do you argue about everything? Everything, no, but this case starts building in your head if you don't hear the lie and it's, they don't understand me, they don't listen to me, they don't really care about me. A few weeks later, they're just always distant from me. Then a couple weeks later, you start thinking, well, are we actually compatible? A few weeks later, did God ordain this marriage? A few weeks later, maybe I would be more happy with someone else. See how the progression of lies builds upon one another. That is Satan's tactics. That is what he does. The biggest lies you believed a result from early on in the process, allowing the devil to just get a lie in. So Satan is a liar and he uses your flesh to tempt you. So this sounds pretty terrible, doesn't it? Welcome to church. Satan's a liar. Your flesh is leading you astray. What do we do about it? Well, I have no clue actually. I don't know why I'm up here. Joke, that's why you came to church. All right, let's talk about it. Here's why. Here's what you're going to do. Jesus is actually the answer. Jesus is the answer. I know that's a Sunday school answer, but I want to share it with you. Jesus is the answer to the lies of the devil. Most of us get caught up in lies because we actually do not know God's truth. The word of God is the truth of God. And when you know the truth of God, you can fight the lies of the enemy. Jesus said it this way. And you will know the truth. And what? The truth will set you free. When you know truth, Jesus is the truth. When you know his truth and you speak truth, you can overcome the flesh, your gratification of your desires. If you don't know the word of God, the Bible, it's really hard to fight the flesh. It's really hard to distinguish between what is a truth and what is Satan's lie. If you do not know God's truth, my encouragement for you is, I know it sounds like the church thing to say, but read the Bible. Know what God has. And then secondly, Jesus makes another bold claim. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, you cannot know the truth because Jesus is the truth if he has not transformed your life, if you've not received him and trusted in him, you cannot know the truth because all truth is Jesus's truth and all lies are Satan's lies. We must know the truth and Jesus is the truth. So with lies, we must take the truth of Jesus and we must shine them on our lies that we believe and then we will see transformation in our lives. So the first step is what lie do you believe? You need to identify right now what lie do you believe. All of us hear thousands of lies whispering in our ears every day. And what I want you to do right now is what lie is coming up in your soul? What are you actually believing that is from Satan? If you're like, you know what, Jason, I have no lies. Liar. (laughs) You have lies that he is whispering in your ear. So the first step is you must know what is the lie. What am I always tempted to do? What am I continually believing? And you need to write that lie down. And as you identify the lie, to overcome it, you must speak the truth. And like I said, the truth is God's word. So how do we take God's word and we speak truth into a lie. I, I can't tell you every single lie you believe, but I just wanted to give you kind of a picture of what this would look like for some application. Because I want each of you to figure out what is the lie. So here's some lies that uh, people believe a lot of times. One is, I'm worthless. Got nothing to author. I'm just worthless. John one twelve says, I am a child of God. So if this is the lie you believe, the truth that you believe is that you're a child of God. And then you quote John one twelve. So you take whatever lie you believe, and then you Put God's word in it. God did not ordain my marriage. Philippians 1 6. What God started, He can finish. Maybe the lie is, I'm always going to be single. This is really hard. I, I don't know if God will ever give me someone. The truth is, I find contentment in life through Jesus. Philippians 4 11 through 13. Maybe the lie you believe is, I'm not worth loving. You need to know Romans 5 8 that Jesus loved you so much to go to the cross and die for you. That's how much you were loved. I am not, I'm not, I got this on my own. Maybe you have this belief that you can do it on your own, that you can build the business on your own, that you can do it all on yourself. The truth is the Lord's plans will re- prevail. Proverbs 16, 9. Maybe some of you are like, I know better than God. I'm smarter than God. Matthew 5, 8 says the pure of heart will see God. And you'll be directed by God. Some of you are going, I'm fine being by myself. I'm fine without community. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 would say that you need a spiritual family to love you. You need that truth. Maybe for some of you, you, you have this, and honestly, if I'm straight with you, this is the lie I believe. My lie that I believe is I need to have it all together. Just keep it all together, Jason. Do the right thing. Say the right thing. Make people believe in you. Make people approve of you. But that is a lie from the pit of hell because you know who approves of me? Jesus. Jesus approves of me. And I quote to myself Colossians 1:22, but now he has reconciled you by reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. The accuser wants to accuse me. Devil wants to accuse me. He wants to go, "See, you're not qualified." But Jesus approves of me. Do you see what I'm doing? We're taking a lie and we're demolishing it by the truth of Jesus. One of the ways that I like to do this is just by memorizing a passage. So there might be a lie that you have up here or is not up here. You're believing in that lie. Really, Google, you can search anything these days. It's pretty cool. Uh, search whatever lie you're believing and the truth that the Bible might have and take a Bible verse and just memorize it. Here's how I memorize a Bible verse. I just take it one word at a time and I repeat it. So Colossians 1, 22, I go, but, but now, but now he, but now he has, but now he has reconciled. And I'm just doing it over and over and over again. I go through it and then I really study those words and I try to put it on my heart so that when that lie comes which it will I can then quote God's truth over the lie so today if you get nothing out of the rest of the time what I want you to do is I want you to find the one lie what's the one thing that Satan is whispering in your ear find a truth and take a, the word of God and speak that to yourself every day I promise you when you speak the truth of of God to yourself, you know what you do? You send Satan back to hell where he belongs. Hey, church, you can actually tell Satan to go to hell. That's a okay curse word in the church world. So Satan, you can go to hell. Uh, that's how I talk to him. I'm like, no, that's not me. I'm believing in the truth. And the third enemy of our soul is this, it's the world. So if we go back to our diagram, we have the enemy gives us lies It creates disordered desires in our flesh. We do things we never thought we would do, follow those lies until they ruin our lives. And the same thing is happening in the world around us. We have a sinful society that we live in. And Satan's goal is to totally disrupt and totally take people out from following Jesus. In verse 2, this is what it says. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. This world followed the ways of the world is actually the world order. It's Satan's control of the world. That Satan actually wants to normalize things against Jesus. He wants to lie to the world around us to push us away from the things of God. Satan runs this town. Not Jay-Z or Rihanna. Uh, Three of you got that. It's a 2000s rap reference. Uh, I'm the only sinner that listened to it. Sorry. Satan runs this town. He runs the world. And you know, what's interesting about America is we were founded as a Christian nation. And what that means is not everybody was Christian, but Christian ideals were uplifted, and they were the building blocks of our nation. So the biggest universities, Yale, Harvard, Harvard, America was built on Christianity and those were Christian uh, colleges and some of the best medical, science, economic development came out of these Christian paradigms. And so for the longest time as a Christian nation, we actually believed like Christianity was good for the world. It had a good impact. Uh, I was born in 1985 and I feel like from 1985 till about... 2015, I lived in the neutral world. This is where like Christianity, you weren't bad for being in it, but it wasn't uplifted. It wasn't like, you're the greatest person. You're helping the world so much. It was just neutral. It wasn't good or bad. It's like, oh, this is good. This is fine. Like you just do you, that's fine. But I've experienced, I don't know if you felt this, 2015 to about now, I feel like as a follower of Jesus, I'm bad for the world. The world is telling us that we're the problem. That Jesus is the problem. There's hostility rising up. There feels like persecution coming. Why is this progression happening? Because Satan rules the world. He's the ruler of the air. And he is using demonic rule. He is creating chaos through his agents lying to the world. And a lot of people go, well, we don't really see the devil at work like visibly or demons visibly in our world around us. First Timothy says this, it says, now the spirit expressively says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. It's the deceitful spirit inside of us. And there's a teaching that is happening. And so Satan doesn't like, obviously show himself, I think, a lot in America, because if he obviously showed himself, a lot of us would be like, oh, Jesus is real. All right, I repent. I repent. But no, he slyly and subtly shifts the world and teaches us and deceives us. I, I experienced this the other day. Molly and I were looking for a show to watch. Molly's my wife. We were looking for like a new TV show. Like, I love watching sports and fishing shows, and she doesn't like those for some reason. And we don't really watch much TV, so we're like, we need to find, like, a show. Like, let's just get in a show that we can watch. So we get on Netflix, and we spend 30 minutes scanning all of Netflix. And in our job doing ministry, we deal with a lot of garbage in life. And so I don't really love, like, dealing with garbage in my TV show also. Um, like, I need, like, a little bit lighter. Like, Like, I don't want, like, I'm not saying anything bad about any show in particular, but I, I just don't want crazy language, crazy gore, crazy nudity, crazy violence. Like I'm okay, and I was like, okay, I'm okay with a little bit of language. That's okay, I guess. But we literally scanned Netflix for 30 minutes, and every single thing we went across—TVMA, TVMA, gore, violence, nudity, sex—I'm like, why is this true? And then I looked at Maul and I go. I guess we should go back and watch Lost from 2004. That was great. Maybe we can figure it out again uh, and see what's going on. But I'm like, what is happening? What used to be like that is, I can't believe that's on TV, is now, oh, yeah, that's normal. Why? The demonic rule of Satan on our world, deceiving the world, lying the world, making things normal that go against the truth of God. As we close, I just want to give you two kind of tools. I give you the find the lie, find the truth tool. The other tools I want to give you is just that we're going to do actually corporately together. There's two ways that we can change our world. And we can fight the, the power that the devil has. And the first is this, is that we can speak truth together when we corporately worship God together. One of the reasons I love coming together with you guys as a church and one of my most favorite times is actually when we get to sing and worship to God. And there, have you sensed there's sometimes just this like overwhelming power that happens? And maybe you're not a person that's like a hand raiser, but even when you just proclaim the truth of God corporately together, why do you think there is power when you proclaim truth together, that's why we put the lyrics up so that we proclaim truth together. When we proclaim it together, what it is doing is actually driving back darkness. When we speak truth together and we worship God, it drives the darkness away. What is crazy and it might freak some of you out that there is a battle right now going on here. There's unseen battle, a spiritual battle that are a spiritual battle of dark principalities that are fighting for your soul, fighting that you do not hear the truth of God, that you write this off and you do not believe it. There is a fight. Honestly, as a preacher that's up here speaking, public speaking is not that tiring for me. This is incredibly tiring for me. Why? Because I am contending. I am speaking not just to you. I'm speaking to the spiritual principalities in the room. I'm telling them the truth of God and they can go back to hell. And that is a heavy burden. And so I beg you, I actually ask you as a church and as a leader of the church, I want to ask you why we worship together, why we proclaim the truth of God together, is we're at war and we need to battle together. And so here in a minute when we worship, we are battling. We are pushing back darkness and we are bringing the light of Jesus to our world. And lastly, the way that we defeat the world around us is just through community with others around us and speaking truth in community. Like when you're believing something stupid, one of the best things you can do is just go talk to another follower of Jesus. Here's what I'm believing. Then just to speak truth. If you're married, that's like a secret weapon in your marriage. Tell your spouse, this is the lie I'm believing. And any good spouse worth their grain of salt is gonna tell you that is a lie. Here is the truth. We do it in community. And as a church, we are to fight Satan, we're to fight evil fight the problems that the devil brings and we are to contend for one another pray for one another, support one another I got to be a part of this this last week and uh, my good friend Carrie Gusmas and her family are sitting up here and this is Carrie and Britt Uh, Carrie actually I asked her if I could share this a few months ago discovered that she has leukemia and you know tendency when you have that kind of discovery is to hold it within, but I remember her coming to a trustees meeting. She served on our trustees, and she's sacrificed for this church. You guys, we would not have this building if it was not for Carrie's sacrifice, and Britt has loved and shepherded Ron and I. They have loved us so, so well, but she comes, and she's just broken, and I knew she did not want to share it with us that day, but she needed just her brothers and sisters to come around her and love her, because when you're going through a dark moment in life, you need community, you need truth spoken into you. And as they did all the tests of leukemia, they had a pretty good plan for a leukemia and go, hey, there's a long life ahead of you. We have a great plan. It's going to be okay. But something very scary happened just a few weeks ago. Carrie actually found that there were a ton of tumors that were rapidly growing throughout her body. And all of a sudden that t- sent a ton of ra- red flags. And the doctors were very, very, very nervous that because of how rapidly it was growing, that it was a cancer, that if it was this type of cancer, it is a death sentence. And so this last week, I got to go, you know what the Bible tells us to do when people are going through this kind of problems? We're supposed to do it together. It says that we're supposed to bring our problems with one another. We're supposed to bring the elders together. We're supposed to lay hands on people and believe that God can heal them. And so that's exactly what we did. Ron, Carissa, Britt, Carrie, and Carrie's dad, we were all in Ron and Chris's living room, and we just honestly, we just didn't even know what to say, and I, I remember the scene, we, we just kind of laid hands on Carrie, and all of us were super emotional, because we knew we had to ask God for a miracle, and that we would believe for a miracle, and so we just started worshiping, holy is our God, worthy is our God, we believe that worship would drive out darkness, and we would just pray, and pray, and pray over Carrie, and we asked God to miraculously heal Carrie, that it would be completely benign. Nothing would be cancer. And as we prayed, it just felt like there wasn't a dry eye in the room and there was a sense that God was there and there was, the darkness was fleeing. And it was just this amazing experience of connection with God and connection with one another. And what I loved about Carrie when she left that room to go to surgery that day is she had a trust in God that if she was healed, she would worship God. But if she suffered, she would trust and worship God. So Carrie goes into surgery. Uh, a couple hours later, the doctor comes out, looks at Britt and the family, and goes, There were tumors everywhere. We were able to remove every single one of them, and every single one were benign. It's a miracle. It's not luck. There's a spiritual battle that is happening. And I believe when we contend and when we worship and when we pray in community, God answers and does something about it. He works, He moves. In your darkest moment of your life, you are not meant to do it on your own. God wants to shine the light in the darkness. And here's the truth you know, when Satan fell, It says in the Bible there are a third of the angels that fell with him. Meaning there is a third of demonic activity happening right now. Yet the math is really good for you, church. Two-thirds of the angels are still left. Meaning our God is the God of angel armies. When we ask him, he will answer and he is there for us. We can trust him. He is powerful. He has defeated Satan on the cross and he has no dominion or power in our church. So when we come together, when we worship, when we do life in community, Satan is destroyed. Darkness flees. So here's what I wanna do. We got our church here. We got a community. I got a worship team. Come on up, worship team. I just, before we close up, Uh, We'll do communion here in a minute, so we're going to do this a little bit different. I just want us to take a moment and proclaim a truth that God is in control, that he is the one that is fighting the battle and our response is to worship him, to worship him. So take that lie that he's been putting in your head and I want you to take it before God and I want you to declare this truth as we sing out and we worship. If you guys would just stand with me for one moment, let's stand together and let's just open ourselves up. Let's speak this out. Let's join together and let's sing out to our God.
1: This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles This is how this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how singing sing it again. This is how I fight my battles This is how I fight my battles This is how I fight my battles This is how This is how I fight my battles This is how I fight my battles This is how I fight my battles. This is how it may look. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battle. I fight my battles this is how 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 I fight my battles this is how
0: yes God this is how we fight we fight Through worship, we fight through speaking the truth and we fight through community, God. And we know that Satan is defeated. He has no power. He has no reign in any single person. I bless each person here today that the lie that they are believing, that you would demolish in Jesus' name. You have the name, you have the power to demolish every lie we believe. And so we believe your truth. We walk in your truth as a church today. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Carrie, thank you. We love you. Thanks for letting me share that.